Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people who are helping autistic adults and teens become more self-sufficient and find their purpose by sharing their important stories with us. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. When you have multiple identities that are marginalized, it is so important to discuss them because so often this intersectionality hasn't been talked about. And without talking about this, it's so hard for our society to better understand these, these experiences. Without understanding and education, I don't know how the heck we are ever going to be able to fight the prevalent oppression and discrimination in our society today. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Miriam, thanks so much for joining us today. Nice being here. I wanted to start out and learn where does your story start in the autistic community? Sure. So I definitely can think of moments my whole life being autistic, just looking back and reflecting, but it's really only something that I've been aware of the last two years or so, and more so the last couple months. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 19. And for a long time, it wasn't even something I seriously considered as far as being autistic. It wasn't until my senior year of high school and I was sitting in my science class and we were doing a neuroscience unit and I finally saw autism from a less stereotypical perspective. My elementary school had actually separated out a lot of the kids who had disabilities, even though I was in the general population of students. So I often saw a more stigmatized approach when I was younger. So I was sitting in my high school class, seeing what it could mean to be autistic from a more scientific perspective. And I just remember sitting in class and thinking, I relate to this so much. Like this just sounds like me in so many ways that I had just never seen myself in the more stereotypical descriptions of autism that I had seen earlier in life. So at that point, I was probably 17 or 18 and just trying to figure out, okay, now that I know that this sounds like something I could be, how do I get that autism diagnosis? At first, I tried to get it through the school, but because I was a 4.0 student at the time, they wouldn't do the evaluation through the school district because it wasn't impacting my grades. So then it was a matter of finding somewhere that would take my insurance that wouldn't cost a lot of money. Many places in my area wanted to charge thousands of dollars, and it took about a year or two to really get the diagnosis. And then it took another year because it was then again hard to find therapists or support groups or anything that again wouldn't cost a lot of money, finding ones that were actually accessible. So I got the diagnosis about two years ago, but it was really this year when I started to really explore what it meant to be autistic, start to accept this as part of who I am and start to more actively deal with it. So no question, I've been autistic my whole life, but it's been a more recent journey of figuring out what it means for me. I I learned about you through your your great YouTube channel, My Non-Traditional Life. Why did you decide to start this channel? I originally started my YouTube channel as a teenager. It was not named that, and it was a completely different type of content back then. 
I originally just fell in love with content creation watching a TV special about YouTube one night. I must have been anywhere from 10 to 12. I'm not sure how old I was when I watched that TV special. But I just remember watching all of these viral videos it was talking about. And it was just small moments from people's life, like getting their wisdom teeth pulled. And I had never seen people sharing videos like that online. It was just the first time I had ever been exposed to something like that. So I started exploring YouTube myself and just continued to love it more and more. This ability to share your life and tell stories with the world was what I originally fell in love with. But for a while, I tried to stay niched down and I went through like art and film reviews and all these different niches. But eventually I came back to that more storytelling aspect. And more recently, the last two years or so have just been making videos talking about my life, renamed the channel to my non-traditional life and just went back to what I loved, which was creating videos about slightly more random topics instead of trying to niche down in something that just wasn't as sustainable as just telling stories from my life. And for those listening that may have not been to your channel, um, what can they expect from my non-traditional life? So lately, I have been describing my channel as a place where we explore being ourselves, even when that is not what society expects. It took me a while to come up with that phrasing, but it's the best that I've come up with for now. But more generally, the idea is the more that I've started to come out on my channel about different parts of my life and explore what I wanted to make videos about, there was just this reoccurring theme of there's so many things about who I am and the experiences that I've gone through, either identity-based or it might be something like college, how I seem to not be on the four-year path anymore of graduating from college. Just all these non-traditional parts of my life that really do not fit the social norms, but they're not necessarily bad things either. So I wanted to use my channel to talk about that and to be a little bit well-rounded, not just get into the identity-based side, because on my channel, I recently came out about being non-binary, about being autistic, about the set of birth defects that I was born with, fodder, which are extremely rare. I wanted to share those stories because I often didn't see representation around it. But at the same time, I didn't want to get stuck in the identity-based side. I wanted to also make videos about just exploring music and my media consumption is a big part of my life. So making videos about that or making, I have one video just about playing around with different food recipes and just things like that. It's just everyday parts of my life while also sometimes more directly exploring issues that I face. It's, it's a mix. Something that I do each month that I love doing is facilitating a group for people that have dual identities of being autistic and those that are transgender um, within the transgender umbrella. So that's why I particularly enjoyed one of your recent videos that discussed these dual identities. How has making a video like this helped you to, to relate to the intersectionality of being um, autistic and uh, transgender? 
First of all, the more I make videos about my identities, the more I'm finding out that they are so intertwined. The more and more in videos I'm talking about intersectionality when that wasn't even planned. Like the other day, I was filming a video about autism stereotypes, and I thought the conversation was just going to stay within autism. And then all of a sudden, I realized that one of the stereotypes had to do with gender and now i'm bringing in my perspective as someone who's non-binary into a video about autism when that was not originally the intention and i keep having moments like that because none of my identities exist in a vacuum i'm always going to be non-binary autistic have fodder it's all going to coexist among with other identities as well and these parts of my identity are constantly intersecting and impacting me simultaneously. And it happens within so many different parts of my life, as I try to talk about in my videos. When I'm accessing healthcare, there's the gender aspect when you're at the doctor is definitely a major factor, whether you're looking at healthcare access laws or misgendering or anything like that. But then, of course, there's also communication and stimuli aspects as someone who's autistic when I'm in the doctor's office. There's also that I often see specialists because I have fodder. It's all intertwined. Or something like just shopping for clothes is going to be impacted by my disabilities, by my gender. It's so intertwined, whether it's playing sports, like any part of my life is going to be somewhat impacted by multiple identities, multiple aspects of who I am. You know, there's also, you can work in economic aspects, you know, financial resources type of perspective that's less, you know, we have the mutable traits side as far as being non-binary and being autistic, but I also try to work lately into my videos the perspective of someone who often I've found myself drifting in and out of poverty and that's a big part of my life too it impacts my experiences so it's hard to avoid the intersectionality and if anything by discussing it it just makes me more open and reflective and just it's a way to also just embrace who I am one thing that I've heard from people is seeing characters in the media whether it's tv film or whatever form that you can identify with so have you seen characters in film and tv that you felt you can that represented you unfortunately there are so few autistic and non-binary people in tv shows and movies though i'm glad to see that their representation is growing that's a big part of what motivates me to provide some representation via my YouTube channel. If anything, I see more representation in YouTube creators than in the more fictional media. One of the first non-binary characters I ever saw was somewhat recently, Shira and the Princesses of Power, the new Netflix series that just came out within the last couple of years. It had this character named Double Trouble. And the character uses they, them pronouns. It's not made to be a big deal. There's no coming out story. They just use they, them pronouns. But my problem is that it's rare 
And on top of that, Double Trouble is initially a villain, and it's like, I don't connect to that character. I'm not against non-binary characters being villains. I think you need different types of characters in order to get representation. But at the same time, I felt like my story wasn't necessarily being told through that character. I just didn't relate. Even Shep, the non-binary character in Steven Universe, who wasn't a villain, but was barely in the show, was only in the show, I think, for one episode, and I didn't really have time to connect to that character or see what their life was like. And I honestly can't think of an autistic character in a show that I've watched where I wasn't actively searching for the show and for the representation or I'm aware of some autistic actors, so I know what they've worked on, but specifically representation that I've seen just when I was already watching a show, I really haven't seen that many autistic characters. But what I have been able to connect to is sometimes the representation won't be someone who's directly my identity, but it might come close and I can still have that deep connection. So for example, I absolutely love the character Alex in CW Supergirl. Now Alex is not the same identity as me. She identifies as female, she's gay, and I'm bisexual. Not the same identities, but her coming out story and coming out later in life and her experiences with relationships just was so relatable for me and was one of the first LGBTQ characters that I just felt this deep connection to and that I just fell in love with their story. And I saw myself in Alex, even though our identities weren't completely the same. And even when that same show, Supergirl, later had a transgender character, Supergirl has the first transgender superhero, I still connect with Alex more than I connect to that superhero, Dreamer, even though Dreamer's identity is in some ways closer to mind, although Dreamer is a transgender female versus I'm non-binary, so it's still not the same experience, of course, just from that difference. There's a lot of diversity within the transgender community and the LGBTQ community. So while I relate to both those characters in some ways, there's just not that many stories that match mine more closely where it is someone who's non-binary specifically or someone who's specifically autistic or even more rarely, where are the other people with Vodder? Even just in real life, beyond fiction, I barely see anyone else in the world who has Vodder, which can be somewhat frustrating. It's like, where are the people like me? As much as I can relate to some of these characters that more loosely we share an identity, but it's more the identity group that we share and not the specific identity. I think the way you talked about connection is is so important whether it's those in media or in others that we that we meet and in a recent video you talked about connection in terms of finding spaces that both support the autistic and non-binary identities have these groups been online or in person in your local community it's been both but at the same time, in general, these groups can be hard to find 
many of the support groups that I've tried to join cost money and some are not covered by insurance or you go and join a group and they're not accepting of another part of your identity. So there was one autism support group that I joined and kept getting misgendered as a non-binary person. And not only misgendered, it wasn't just the pronouns, but we would get sometimes into these weird conversations about gender that just weren't comfortable. If I'm going to be in a support group, I want to feel comfortable and I want to be able to be the whole person I am, not just be autistic, but also be my non-binary self. Sometimes the LGBTQ spaces are not disability friendly. So I had to weed through some of the less accepting groups at first. And uh, it took a while to find any to join at all between the financial obstacles and also just that I have more than one identity that comes into play into these groups, just finding a place that was accessible and accepting was a bit difficult. Some of the groups that I joined were originally in person and then moved online due to the pandemic. I also was able to join some groups that I probably would not have been able to join otherwise because their services moved online during the pandemic. So now you're seeing groups that are based in very far away geographic areas that normally would have just met in person, but now I can join them virtually because their services have moved online. and. There's also some free groups that I found online that have always been online. Many of these groups tend to be based around content creators, such as one YouTuber with disabilities has a Discord group. And of course, we met somewhat through a Facebook group for autistic people and allies. I've been finding more and more groups like that lately. I just recently found a what seems to be a really good LGBTQ group via Meetup, uh, the website Meetup. So there are some Facebook and Discord and online groups like that that can be free and can be really great communities. Now, finding in inclusive spaces isn't just about developing friendships, but it can be about anywhere you go. I know you were talking earlier about healthcare a little bit. So what do you think, like, businesses or hospitals or doctor's offices can do to make their space feel more welcoming to you and other uh, non-binary autistic people? So there are so many ways and <laughs> it could literally be a discussion that takes hours. I think there's so many changes and it also depends on the type of business of course. I think there are some things that apply across the board but when you're in a doctor's office, that's a lot different than when you're in a grocery store or even when you're shopping for clothes. There's a lot of things that happen in those spaces that just aren't the same. But some of the big ones that I would like to see as far as changes to be more accepting are, first of all, I really would like businesses, especially ones that follow the more customer service mindset, to stop using words like ma'am, miss, sir, when talking to customers. There's so many ways to address people without saying those kinds of words. 
And I've heard some people argue that that's just the way they grew up and using these words are meant to be respectful, but these words can also be used as microaggressions and ways to invalidate non-binary people like me. I remember I was working one type of customer service job and the day that I was working there was actually a pride event during June. And some people had they then pins and my supervisor was still telling us to make sure you say ma'am and sir to every guest that came in that day. And I just remember feeling so frustrated of why am I saying ma'am and sir to people literally wearing they then pins. Uh, and especially when I'm at the doctor, I feel like that's the space where that happens the most, where a lot of nurses and staff will just say ma'am and sir instead of using my name they could just use my name or they might throw miss before my last name and it just feels so unnecessary you could just say my name and to me that doesn't feel disrespectful I know some people think it's less respectful but to me it just feels like you're trying to gender me when you really don't need to be gendering me like that I also think that businesses could be more accommodating to autistic people's communication and sensory needs. The more I learn about that, there's just so many ways we could go about that. One big way is in business settings and healthcare settings, we often don't get the opportunity to take the pauses when we need to take a pause when answering a question. So especially when you're in the ER, but also in other spaces, you're expected to rapidly answer triage questions. And often the patient is not given that moment to think and to just relax, you know, whether it's your mind is going blank and you need a moment to figure out what you want to word, or maybe you're getting nervous or anxious and you need to take a moment to relax, whatever the reason for needing that pause, we often are not given that pause. Or how many times are we in line, you know, you're at a fast food place and it's just so fast paced. Of course, it's, you know, in the name, basically, that when you're giving your order, the cashier often wants you to give it quickly. So you don't have that moment to just pause and figure out what you want to say if you start to not know what you want to say for any reason. Also, many stores and interactions with employees can be overstimulating in so many ways. Part of it is from being rushed often, as I was describing, but it can also be in other ways uh, overstimulation can occur. Uh, for example, I once had a manager just walk away from me when I had gone back to the store where I bought my new phone because I was having an issue with the phone. And I was a little slow to answer, and I started getting overwhelmed because I was just confused by what they were saying, and I was also looking at the phone off and on, and trying to we were trying to somewhat problem-solve on the phone. And the manager just walked away because I was being slow to answer their questions and starting to feel overwhelmed. And that person could have just stood there for a moment, let me catch my breath, and it would have made the world a difference. Because since they just walked away from me, I actually started crying. Because I just didn't know what to do at that point, and I felt so overwhelmed. Because this person had been talking too fast and just not listening to what I was saying. 
And the practical thing in that moment felt like going to that store because that's where I bought the phone. Of course, if there's an issue with this phone I just bought, I should be going to the store that I bought it from. And for the manager of their mobile department to just walk away without addressing the issue I was facing simply because I was being a little bit slow and overwhelmed by their questions was just so frustrating. And that's not the first time something like that has happened where an employee could have just showed a little more patience and it would have made a huge difference. Absolutely. Well, Miriam, I really appreciate you joining us today and um, I'll for our listeners, I'll make sure to share um, information about my non-traditional life in uh, the podcast description. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening, and a special thanks to Miriam for the great conversation. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. When you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide autistic adults and teens hard to find support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives. That's why we are now offering New clients, two 30-minute coaching sessions at no cost. This is coaching that anyone can afford, so don't wait to reach out by clicking on the link provided in the podcast description for this episode. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Lisa Morgan about suicide crisis support for autistic people. Talk to you then.